Hello and welcome back to the How To Be Good podcast, the show where we speak to people and businesses that are looking to help combat the climate crisis and live a more sustainable life. And today we have Thomas Motlock. He's a senior risk uh, scientist at Risk Frontiers. Uh, this is our second interview with Tom. Yeah, just uh, in case you recognize yes. the name. <laughs> he is, he's here to update us um, and make us understand why the extreme weather events are happening across the globe uh, and just give us more details. Absolutely. And we've all seen it on the news um, over the last couple of months from the, the fires that wiped out whole towns in Canada. Mm. Um, to the floods in northern Europe, in Germany and, and, and other areas as well, and also just devastating whole towns and villages there as well. Mm. Right the way over to, to in China as well, and, and horrendous. And, and even flash floods in London that is, is pretty unprecedented. I think I saw you know rivers of water going down Stratford Station. It's, yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah. And there's also fires now in Greece and Turkey. That's uh, right. There's... Uh, uh, immense loss to uh, to uh, humans, but also let's not forget about the loss of um, uh, biodiversity, uh, the loss of habitats for for wildlife, um, to to actually the ocean, the ocean warming in the in, the, in heat wave areas so much yeah. to, that this has caused a massive loss of uh, of um, animals around exactly. the area. It's a human. It's a huge effect on humans. Mm. But it's also a huge effect on the animals and wildlife and, as you said, the full biodiversity. Mm. So anyway, let's hear to a more scientific standpoint of why this is happening from Thomas Wartlock. Let's get on with the show. Absolutely. Hello and welcome back to the How To Be Good podcast. And today really is a welcome back because we have Thomas Mortlock again onto our show to help us understand more about what is happening with the weather at the moment. How are you going? Yeah, good, thanks. Thanks for having me back both. It's uh, it's good to be back. Absolutely. Good to have you. Good to have you. So could you tell us a, a little bit about all these extreme weather events happening throughout the globe and and why, why, are, we, why are we getting these such ex- extreme events? Yeah, sure. It certainly has been an interesting uh, few weeks or even a few months. Um, it all really kicked off at the end of June with uh, a big heat wave um, event that, that occurred uh, in Canada uh, and in Washington State and down down to Oregon in the US, um, which was called a heat dome. And, and it really was a very unusual event. It caused temperature anomalies of over 20 degrees, which means um, temperatures themselves reached above 40. But the anomaly is a really good way of measuring it because that's that's the amount over what is normally felt. So 20 degrees over what is normal wow. uh, there over, over the average is really a, a very, very extreme event with some implications for human health. And um, there were over 500 excess deaths, so deaths related to the heat wave there. Uh, that in itself was certainly an extreme and, and abnormal event. Uh, a couple of weeks after that, you would have seen in the news that there was some um, very damaging flooding that occurred in northwest Europe. So principally in Germany, but also the Netherlands, Belgium, Luxembourg also um, experienced flooding. Um, and really some of the worst floods in living memory um, mm-hmm. in, in terms of 
the the Air River, which was one of the one of the major rivers in Germany that was affected, that the previous flood of record was three point seven meters. Uh, this flood reached a height of eight meters, and wow. if you saw some of the before and after images, yeah. um, they're just even even from a hydrologist perspective, they are really quite impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, the the size of the river channel prior to flooding compared to the area that was flooded. Uh, afterwards is is really quite um, immense. Um, yeah, and often we we measure these river floods in terms of uh, discharge, which is the the amount of, of volume of water that flows through a given point. And the Meuse River, which you may or may not be aware of, is one of the major river systems in uh, in in Europe. It flows through I think five or six different um, Western European countries. Um, that had a, a discharge of three thousand cubic meters a second and to put that into perspective that's only happened twice since 1911 and and the two times it's happened previously has been in the european winter so to get that kind of volume uh, occurring during the summer is is highly unusual so we had that occurring um they were the two you know i guess headlines Uh, at exactly the same time uh temperature records were being set in ireland had the hottest day in ireland since records began uh flash flooding occurred in london that's only happened a couple of times um over the past several decades that's that's quite unusual as well yeah um but then a couple of weeks after that you would have also seen in the news that um uh, zengzu in central china i'll probably pronounce that wrong um but a major uh urban area in, in central china uh experienced some very strong rainfall and uh, subsequent flooding. The the Weather Bureau there estimated the intensity of rain at that location at the time was a a thousand-year event, so something that might only be expected to occur once every every thousand years. So Mm -hmm. um, at face value, uh, you know, three or four um, extreme events that uh, impacted a wide range of areas across the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, 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 I've got so many questions, but we understand that, that time is, is, is tight on this. But there seems to be a, an almost like a central band globally of, of flooding. And then, then we're ha- having extreme temperatures both, uh, both north and south of that uh, across the globe. And are they all connected in terms of like the shifting weather pattern and rainfall and, and, and airflow? Yeah, so these events certainly were connected, and it was connected via a mechanism called the jet stream, which um, may be familiar to you. Um, the, the jet stream is is a band of um, of wind, basically in in the lower atmosphere, that moves weather systems along uh, across the mid latitudes. There's jet stream in the southern hemisphere as well, and, and one's close to the equator. But the one that was responsible for these events essentially moves weather systems across uh, North America. Uh, across Europe, uh, across the mid-latitudes in the Northern Hemisphere, which also includes um, China um, mm-hmm. as, as well. Um, now, when it's flowing quickly, you can you, it's kind of uh, akin to a river. When it's flowing quickly, it, it moves weather systems on quite fast. And this is why, you know, in Northwest Europe, you gen- tend to get quite changeable weather quite a lot yep. because these systems move in across the Atlantic and, and they're, they're, uh, they're transported with the, with the jet stream. 
Um, but what can happen is that the jet stream, just like a river, can become very sinuous. So it can become very curvy, basically. Yeah. Um, and it's you can visualize it like a wave. Um, these curves can break like an ocean wave. Mm-hmm. And when they do break, um, they can cause anomalous weather. Uh, when they become very sinuous, just like a river, they can cause cutoffs. So, you know, you can have these things called oxbow lakes in a river where when it becomes very sinuous, you actually get an area that gets cut off from the main uh, river channel. It's exactly the same with this atmospheric river, as they're called. And so when it does become very sinuous, you you often get blocking patterns. So weather systems stay in uh, one place for a very long period of time. Um, And it can also draw in anomalous weather from um, latitudes north and south. So, for example, the heat wave in Canada was bringing in very warm, dry air from the south that is anomalous to that location. Um, Similarly, back in February, when we had the Texas snowstorm, you might remember, uh, that was also related to a very sinuous pattern in the jet stream. It was bringing in very cold um, air from the Arctic region, um, but it was a very similar pattern. So, uh, again... um, the sinuosity of the jet stream was also related to the flooding in Northwest Europe and and into China as well. So it is certainly a linked pattern between between those three three events. Yeah. Uh, not knowing a lot about weather and extreme weather events, I wanted to ask: um, Is this a pattern? Does this happen every hundred years, or or is this completely unprecedented? Um, no, it's not unprecedented. I mean, the, the jet stream is, is a big part of us understanding climate and weather um, a, across the globe. Um, you know, it, it's very difficult and, and often, I guess, people jump on, on individual weather events and, and say that there's a climate change component to it. I mean, certainly we can say with, with high degree of certainty that climate change um, and increasing global temperatures will make uh, extreme weather more likely. Um, how we say they, they affect individual weather patterns themselves is still very difficult to model. Um, so we can talk in terms of probabilities, but how they actually affect individual weather patterns is still something that's an area of, of science in progress, I guess. But um, there's been a lot of research to suggest that there's something called Arctic amplification. So mm-hmm. uh, the Arctic area is warming uh, faster than any other part of the globe. And we're seeing that in terms of ice loss. Um, and when we lose ice, something called a positive feedback occurs. So uh, there's a reduction in albedo. So when, when we have ice, uh, it's very reflective, it's white, it reflects a lot of the, the sun's energy and, and warmth back, back into the atmosphere. But when we lose that albedo, when the, when the ice melts, the surface becomes darker, um, heat is absorbed more at that surface, and it's a positive feedback. You know, this right. thing just gets bigger and bigger. More warmth means more ice loss. More ice loss means more warmth. And so this is why we're getting um, – one of the reasons why we're getting um, uh, warming in the Arctic that is greater than the global average. But what, what, what that is also doing is it is reducing the temperature differential between the Arctic region uh, and the subarctic regions or the mid-latitudes in the northern hemisphere. And the jet stream um, is kept in place – by this temperature differential. So if the difference between uh, these two areas of temperature is reducing, then you can expect probabilistically that um, the jet stream may slow down. Uh, 
Right. It may become more sinuous. It may, you know, move all over the place. Just, mm-hmm. just as we see with a river, for example, that has less flow through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, these sinuous patterns, this uh, the slowing down of the jet stream, the blocking effect that it can have, can lead to these uh, extreme anom- anom- anomalous weather, weather conditions that we've seen over the past um, past month. Yeah. We uh, we have been told in um, other interviews about the Earth's tipping points. Is this a result of having hit some of these tipping points, uh, such as the the, um, the ice. ice melting and mm, the tundra? Yeah, and so yeah, that's a really good question and, and a very timely one, actually, because uh, in the next couple of weeks, the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, is about to release their sixth assessment report. And these are real milestones in terms of um, a synopsis of um, where clients, climate science is and, and you know, um, in, informing policy. Um, and one of the major um, messages coming out of the AR6 will be about tipping points. And, and tipping points are essentially unknowns in the climate system. Mm-hmm. Um, they are things like positive feedback effects, like yep. I just described, um, especially for Australia, for example, the unknowns in we don't really know how Antarctica responds to warming. We don't know when ice sheets inst- ice sheet instabilities will occur, how they're going to occur. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, they are tipping points because we could be planning for sea level rise that doesn't account for massive ice shelf loss from yeah. Antarctica. Um, but when we put that into the equation, then you know the the amount of sea level rise could be could be much larger. So it's very difficult from a risk manager's perspective to factor all that uncertainty in because we don't know the time frame or, can, or we can't really assign a probability to it. Yeah. So, you know, w- with regard to tipping points, unfortunately, um, it is something that we certainly need to bear in mind that, that science is, is not uh, – climate science is not a complete science. Uh, and these are gaps in our knowledge that, unfortunately, we're just going to have to deal with somehow. Um, yeah, you know, in our projections, absolutely. So we, we're also reading lots and lots of reports. You know, we get um, heat waves and billion-dollar extreme event floods, and and so forth. How can or can countries be better prepared for this um, to mitigate it in the future? Mm. Yeah, well. I mean, we, if we look at disaster losses, and we do have a good record of disaster losses in Australia and globally, and they go back to, you know, pr- pretty well, they go back to the 70s um, in, in terms of the economic losses that are associated with, with natural disasters. And when we normalise that loss record for um, present-day conditions, present-day GDP, population, etc., we actually don't see much of a trend in there. Um, and, and the reason for that is that... Um, the cost of of extreme weather is as much about where and how we choose to live as it is the change in the hazard. That's certainly not to say, and it, it shouldn't be misinterpreted to, to to mean that there's no climate change signal in there. What it what it really means is that um, we are uh, perhaps becoming better at dealing with these events in some in some instances. Uh, certainly, in some areas of the world, that's that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I mean, I can only speak to the Australian context. And if we take coastal, for example, uh, you know, in, in some areas of Australia, we are living with a legacy of in, inappropriate development in the coastal zone. And we, yeah. need to, we need to deal, deal with those situations um, today in the best and most sustainable way 
that we can. But unfortunately, a lot of the adaptation and mitigation decisions that are made will come back to a present-day cost-benefit analysis. So is it more cost effective for me to put a seawall in and, and, and maintain you know the coastal line um, than it is for compulsory purchase and and move the line land yeah. let's say mm-hmm. so um, you know individual decisions at a local local scale but um, yeah I think certainly um, we are beyond the point of thinking that uh, climate change and the effect on extreme weather is something for the future we know that it's happening now Um and uh, and certainly people are, are planning for that already. Yeah, yeah. Um, can we expect these events that we've been talking about now, the floods and the fires and the same bands, to be more frequent in the next uh, years to come? Um, again, it's, it's very difficult to say on individual events, but mm-hmm. uh, if I talk to the Australian example, uh, again, or, or even globally, the, the major premise is... Um, something called the classis claperon relation, which uh, relates the amount of water uh, vapour in the air to temperature. And essentially, as the atmosphere warms, there is more potential for the atmosphere to hold more water. And on that premise alone, at a very high level, uh, you might expect that either the magnitude or the frequency of extreme rainfall and associated flooding may, may increase. Um, there are, there's a lot more um, things going on at the local and the regional scale. For example, in Australia, on a year-to-year or multi-year cycle, um, we're very much affected by what's going on in terms of climate variability, what's happening with oscillations in the Pacific, with the Indian Ocean, with the Southern Ocean. And that, uh, on the short term, can mask a climate change signal. Yeah. Um, but it really depends how long we project out for if we're looking out you know, several decades, centuries, then certainly we can see a signal um, come, come through. Um, but the kind of results that we're seeing from our models is that um, in terms of the financial implications associated with uh, extreme weather and climate change, bushfire is uh, an outstanding hazard. Mm-hmm. Um, we're certainly seeing the, the largest associated losses projected into the future with bushfire, yep. uh, a little bit less so with flood for that exact reason I've just mentioned in terms mm-hmm. of it being very affected by uh, these year-to-year uh, oscillations in, in regional climate. Yeah. 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 So you've just released a briefing. So if people want to understand a little bit more, how can they, how can they read it? How can they get more up-to-date? Yeah, sure. So it's, it's on our website, riskfrontiers.com uh, forward slash insights. All of our briefing notes are up there. Um, yeah, it was really a commentary of the event and the fact that it's interconnected. I think that in itself is probably an interesting aspect of those those three or four events. Um, but really pulling it back to something called peril correlation and compounding. So um, when we uh, treat uh, natural hazard events in risk assessments, we often think of them in isolation we plan for a flood or we mm-hmm. plan for a bushfire we don't necessarily plan for a flood following a bushfire or yeah. vice versa so this is called compounding and um, there certainly is evidence that that certain um, natural hazards are correlated or anti-correlated i mean often you know bushfires and floods are two ends of the spectrum um, but you you might expect for example tropical cyclones and flooding to happen yeah. uh, at the same time so it's really just highlighting the fact that we should be also um, 
thinking about compound events uh, and also just at a very high level understanding that the climate is a global system uh, and extreme weather and climate hazards are linked by yeah. these um pan hemispheric mechanisms like the rosby waves like like the um, like the jet streams so um we can't think about uh, climate risk in isolation for any one location it's all very much a global system and linked and you know the, the the difficult i guess and also interesting thing about working in this space is that it's not wholly predictable um mm -hmm. we have a climate system that is um uh that is stochastic which basically means it's semi-chaotic um, yep. you, you can, and again, the jet stream is a very good example of this, the butterfly effect. You can have a random perturbation of the jet stream somewhere in the world, and that sets off this atmospheric wave. The wave can break, do weird things, and amplify in, in other, other parts of the world. So, yeah, it's, a, it's an exciting um, time to, to be in this space. Um, but I think if there's any one message, it would be um, – that, that climate science is doing doing the best it can, but there is a whole bunch of uncertainty around, you know, any one projection you might read about in the news. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you very much for being on the show again and for giving us an insight into the weather events that we've all been experiencing recently, and some more than others, and uh, and helping us understand that a little bit more. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. It's been a good good conversation and. Uh, uh, look forward to our next next chat. Absolutely. Well, hopefully it's not just around weather events all the time. Hopefully no, we're not <laughs> we're not having lots and lots of people in disaster zones. But unfortunately, right. things aren't aren't great. Yes. Thank you very very much. Thank you. Thanks. So that was Thomas Mortlock, a senior risk scientist from Risk Frontiers, and it was really good to to get an understanding of how the i guess the the i'm not very good at understanding his terms but or remembering his terms but the oscillation of weather, weather events as well mm -hmm. and how these the jet streams being slowed up can cause so much other effects mm -hmm. much the same as rivers and things like that and it's interesting to understand the 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 science but also the the overall risk of weather because mm -hmm. it isn't an exact science mm -hmm. but all these things are Cumulating, no, how do I Cumulative. say it? Cumulative. Cumulative <laughs> effects on the environment. Uh, I think the also uh, it's very interesting to understand how connected the fires and the heat waves are to the flood areas, um, and also to understand that um, the weather is chaotic and we we have to prepare for it. We we've got to um, understand that this can happen anytime and with uh, with uh, the climate change and the weather warming, we will see uh, more of these in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the other thing that, are, that, that does worry me and the question you asked was, was regarding the tipping points. Mm. And, and Thomas talked about it specifically with regard to the, the, the vast amount of ice melt um, that's happening. And we've heard this from a number of other guests as well. Um, it does worry me a lot because it's a bit unknown as to what those effects are going to be all we do know is they're not going to be good. Mm, and I think um, as, as we've understood uh, from previous interviews uh, is that the tipping points are things that we cannot control. 
um, whilst at the moment we can still control the amount of CO2 we emit, um, we can still control the amount of forests we uh, cut, the, 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 the amount of fishing we do, the amount of meat we eat. These are all things that we control. As soon as the tipping points start, um, start happening, happening, uh, we lose the ability to control any of the CO2. Uh, emissions from these areas and any of the extreme weather events. Absolutely. And we spoke more about the tipping points with Dr. Shahir Masri in that episode. I believe it was 23, but I could be wrong. So maybe we'll put a link to that in the bottom. But um, Climate Action 101. Climate Action 101 was yeah. the episode title. Well done. So um, <laughs> it's certainly worth looking or listening, obviously YouTube or or um, podcast, to listen to what he had to say as well. And the two work very closely together with understanding the tipping points and the effects that these are going to have on our planet and us and the animal, every, everything. And as, as always, um, we can only do this podcast because of your support. Uh, if you want to donate or be one of our patrons and uh, get involved in the post podcast, come up with ideas and, and support us, please go to our page uh, www.howtobegood.com.au and click support us and it will take you to either uh, Patreon or uh, buy me a coffee. We love coffee. <laughs> um, and there's also PayPal as well. Um, if you, if you'd like to support us or just share, share with your friends, uh, contact us and tell us what we're doing good and what we're not doing so, <laughs> so good. So just, uh, just, um, join us. Absolutely. So we'll put the details for, um, Risk Frontiers, um, because they've just, uh, re- uh, just submitted that. Um, briefing mm-hmm. and so we'll put a link to the briefing note as well in the show notes um, and I think that's more or less it mm. us covered yes till indeed ne- till t- next t- time till next time hopefully we got it right I'm not sure if we always get it right at the end <laughs> <laughs> till next time take care bye, bye.